0: church. How are we doing today? Are we awake? Are we alive? Past couple of days have been interesting, huh? We went from, like, freezing cold temperatures and snow in the early part of the week to, like, I didn't wear a jacket today. That was weird. Uh, Pastor Jeff isn't here today, so you got me. Uh <laughs> My name, for those of you who might be joining us for the first time, my name is uh, Pastor Adam Falkenstein, and I'm actually the pastor of Children and Family Discipleship here. Uh, thank you for being with us today. It's good to see so many of you here at the first service. I know it can be hard to like, get up early in the morning, but it is a blessing to see so many of you here. So thank you for joining us. If you have been here with us the past few weeks, you'll remember we're coming off of a series called I Love My Church. And we've just gone through all six core values of our church, and those core values are important and pivotal to the mission of this church. They are grounded in Scripture, and they are helpful for orienting our attitudes toward discipleship within the church. But when I preached last time, a couple months back, I forced us, sometimes a little bit uncomfortably, to take a good, hard look at whether or not our attitudes towards the lost people of the world were correct. It's one thing to love your church, but are we also truly ready to love the lost? To start with that first core value, to go and find people. Are we ready to love people to life in Jesus Christ? Or have our biases prevented us from really being Jesus to a broken world? And despite the fact that we did cover some really hard topics during that message, I found the majority of the feedback I received was overwhelmingly positive. Not in a way that was necessarily flattering to me personally, but most people thanked me for putting towards something that had been convicting their spirit for a really long time. And that is like the best feedback that a pastor can get. But in addition to that, almost everyone I spoke to had the same follow-up. How? How do I do this? How do I love people this way? I, I want to, but how? So, This might be like a different approach to most sermons, but I think it's appropriate coming off of what we just come off of, going into what we're just going into, to get really practical. So can we get practical today? Is that okay? Can we have a practical conversation about love? Yes? Will you let me do that with you today? Amen. All right. Well, then, if you would, please stand with me. We're going to go to the gospel of Mark this morning. Mark chapter 12. A lot of you are going to be familiar with this, but we're going to really get practical about what we're talking about here. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31 says this. Jesus is just coming off having a debate, right? And it says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength but the second is this love your neighbor as yourself there is no commandment greater than these may God add his blessing to his word this morning please be seated real quick where are my note takers at anyone in here take notes still like on their phone or on a notepad you're gonna be wanting to do that today so just get ready because we got a lot we're gonna go through All right The first half of Jesus' statement from mark is a very clear call To strive for holiness. We are to love god more than anything and with everything that we have But the second most important part according to christ is this Love others the way you love yourself Now on the surface loving our neighbor Seems like it might be a little bit simpler than striving for holiness until we start to put it into practice right because It can be easy to come to church week in and week out and read your bible and pray and worship It can be easy. It's not easy for everybody, but it can be easy But when it comes to loving others Man, we get tripped up don't we? So let's diagnose the problem. All right, we're going to operate on a rule of three today In fact three rules of three We're going to start with this three reasons. We struggle to love others now we all know the story of jonah right in case you didn't we're going to go through a quick little review he was called by god to prophesy against the wickedness of the people of a town called nineveh but he refused because he was disgusted by these people and so his solution was to hop on a boat and run away but in the middle of that little trip a storm comes he ends up overboard and then a giant fish comes and swallows him and he sits for that in that fish for three days And then he decides, this is terrible, I should obey God. And so he decides he's going to do that, and God causes the fish to spit him up on the shore. He goes to Nineveh, he preaches to them, and they repent. Now this is usually where Sunday school finishes the story. Jonah chapter 3, the end, all is well, except it's not. I don't know if you knew this, if you've ever read through the book of Jonah, but there's a fourth chapter that takes place after this. Now we don't got time to read the whole thing today, I would encourage you to go examine it for yourself But suffice it to say the entire chapter is basically detailing Jonah's incredibly persistent unloving attitude It actually starts with this Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 But to Jonah this that is God not destroying the people of Nineveh seemed very wrong And he became angry When we look at Jonah The first issue we see here is anger See, Jonah really enjoyed the mercy and grace that God provided to him until God wants to extend it to other people. What if God had treated Jonah the way that he believed the Ninevites should be treated? What if God treated us that way? And how often do we have this exact same mindset when it comes to others? We we selfishly and arrogantly sometimes, we think that others are less deserving of grace. At one point, God literally asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah replies... It is, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Uh, Drama queen? We laugh, right? But is this not reality for some of us? This absurd anger, it shows up in big and small ways. We've probably seen it most prominently in recent times in the political space. With self-identifying conservative and liberal Christians literally spewing hate towards one another as well as the rest of the world. It's almost like neither side has it right. This is just one timely example of how our anger can translate into deeper aggravation and confusion about God's grace itself, but there are so many others. How often do we get so angry over things that prevent us from loving God, or loving people rather, as God has commanded us? Full disclosure, this is the area of struggle that I contend with the most. This is the area I'm constantly having to submit myself to the Lord over. Because it is, it's easy to get angry when you see people just being ridiculous. Doing things you think they shouldn't be doing. But we're not called to anger. We're called to love. Number two, fear. One of the most powerful weapons in the world The most powerful weapon that satan has at his disposal is fear He loves to make us afraid. He wants us to be afraid We're we're afraid so much to the point that when we sin we're afraid to confess that sin because we're afraid of judgment Instead of the grace that we desire But second timothy 1 7 it says the spirit god gave us does not make us timid or fearful but gives us power love and self-discipline If this is true Then why is it that we're so afraid to witness To others and show them genuine love If we're relying on God's power What do we have to be afraid of Are we truly trusting The Holy Spirit of God when it comes To how we live our lives or are we relying On our own strength and knowledge Realizing it's not good enough and that's why we're not Doing it Matthew 14 details another story That we're probably all very familiar with The account of Jesus walking on the water right? And he calls Peter out to him and in this story, Peter comes and he begins to walk on the water and it's only up until he takes his eyes off of Jesus that he's there. And then he begins to sink. If our eyes are set on Christ, what is it that scares us? Because he's sitting there saying, come on, come out here with me, with me. He's, gone, he's not sending us alone, he's going with us. So what is stopping you from getting out of the boat? See, fear fear is a powerful motivator against something. But love is a far greater motivator towards something. It's the one tool that Satan doesn't have at his disposal. And it is a far greater tool that Christ wields. But we also have to be willing to admit something, which is that if we're more driven by fear than love when it comes to people, the antithesis of that is also true. Which is that we don't love them enough Number three This is probably the big one Complacency In the time between Christ's resurrection And his ascension to heaven He spends it with his disciples The apostles instructing them Teaching them and restoring them They have seen the most miraculous thing That will ever occur And moments before Christ returns to the Father We have this interaction in Acts chapter 1 Verses 6 through 11 Says they gathered around him and asked him, "Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel?" And he said to them, "It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their, hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them men of Galilee why do you stand here looking into the sky Jesus this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven Jesus has just gotten done detailing to them hey here's all the miraculous things that are about to occur here's the power you're about to receive you've just spent the last 40 days with me we've been doing some pretty cool stuff He's just gotten done talking to the apostles and telling them these things and then he ascends to heaven and the apostles just stand there. To the point that two angels have to come down and basically say, what are you doing? Get moving. God's instructions are very clear but for some of us, we can't seem to follow that last part about getting a move on. We get stuck in this place of complacency, of just being okay with going about our day-to-day, not really ever thinking about actively loving people. But it absolutely should be a priority to us. We are not called to stare at the sky and wait for Jesus to do something. We are called into the mission field of our own backyards, and we're surrounded by people who need Jesus, and yet sometimes we're just perfectly content to keep to ourselves. I'd venture a guess that in some form or fashion we have all dealt with one of these at least, the cure for this problem is for us to submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives So that we might feel his conviction and allow him to encourage us out of these pitfalls But then we've seen what we shouldn't do. What should we do? How do we love well? Well part of my sermon from a few months ago it dealt with first Peter 3 15 through 16 which says this we're going to go back to this but in your hearts revere christ as lord always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in christ may be ashamed of their slander these words from peter are so crucial we're called to be prepared or ready, right? Any Boy Scouts in here? Anyone? Yeah? Yeah? You guys, you know what's up. We're called to be ready. What does being prepared or ready look like in the context of Christianity? When we prepare for anything, we go through training, yes? We study techniques and we practice. We make notes of things that did not work So we don't do them again And we also make notes of things that other people did That were very successful So maybe we can try them out Triathlons, 5Ks, all those kinds of races They require extensive training You don't just walk blindly into a race and expect to do well You don't leave for a trip Without researching the location And packing the right things At least I hope you don't So for the Christian, how can we expect to love people well If we've only done some of the preparation What do I mean by that? Studying the word theology these are very good things These are things that ready us for the battles we will inevitably face when we're trying to reach others for christ We're told to always be ready So these things should be a constant in our lives something we're always doing and that would seem like common sense But the bigger question I think we run into when we look at this Are we actually ready to share what we have learned what we know what we come to believe is truth with gentleness and respect? Or are we really great at knowing what we know but not really great with how we share it? Let me ask you a question. What does a positive conversation about Jesus look like? You might assume the answer is that somebody accepts Jesus. But that's not the answer. See, there's a lot of people who are very ready to talk about their faith, even defend it, but miss that point about gentleness and respect completely. It all comes back to that. So many people in this world are still lost, not because the person who shared the gospel with them wasn't right, but because the person who shared the gospel with them was a jerk about it. There is a wide range of what this means. I'll give you an example. I will never forget the time that Sarah and I were meeting with this couple we're getting to know them, becoming friends with them, and this—the wife of this couple—said she would never attend a particular church because she had a coworker who went there, and in the workplace, this coworker was a constant screamer, curser, and belittler. That crushed me to hear that this is what the representation of Jesus was that she received. Because what she received was that Jesus had done nothing for this person at all. Why would she need him or his church? It hurts. It hurts. So we have to, again, we want to examine what does a positive conversation about Jesus look like? Here it is. It can mean that the person accepts Christ. But ultimately, what it should mean is that no matter the outcome of that conversation... Or any conversation, even if the conversation has nothing to do with faith The person walks away With a positive impression of Christ Because of the Christian Every interaction we have With someone, even ones that have nothing to do with faith In one way or another, is a conversation About Jesus It is a conversation about Jesus in us But we're talking specifics today, right? I promise practicality. How do we lovingly share with others what we believe? Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye? When all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now people take this passage out of context a lot. So let's do a quick breakdown of what this is actually saying. Because people take this to mean don't judge anyone ever for any reason. Let's be very clear first off. Believers are held to a higher standard. You best believe that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and are living in blatant, unrepentant sin, I am going to bring it to your attention. (laughs) I have a responsibility to you as a believer to remind you of your representation of Christ, as you do for me. But the bigger point that I think Jesus is trying to say here is know yourself. If our aim is for people to see Jesus positively reflected in us, for us to love people well, then the key to this is self-awareness. We have to take a good hard look in the mirror and remember, you know what? We did nothing to deserve this gift of grace. We're ambassadors of it. We gotta be real with people. So the first way we can do this is by having a very strong sense of content. Now what I mean by that is not simply just being aware of the Bible and what it says, but the content of what you're actually saying. Because yes, we need to know ourselves But we also need to know our audience What is relevant To the people that you're interacting with There are some That subscribe to the belief That it's worth losing a relationship For the sake of preaching a harsh truth And perhaps this is true In some circumstances Perhaps a person and their behavior Are becoming increasingly harmful And so the truth must be spoken Without regard to the outcome You'll see Jesus do this With the teachers of the law Just right in their face But overall you don't See this in Jesus' ministry Especially Not when he's trying to, to reach lost And broken people Every time that Jesus approached others He loved them first It was when they came to him That he preached the truth and he did so Relevantly To the moment at hand With grace and love Now we don't shy away or compromise the truth by any means. We still boldly proclaim it. But we also don't weaponize it. Because the word of God is a weapon against the enemy, not people. So when you're sharing the truth of Scripture, ask yourself, what questions about life or spirituality is this person really asking? What needs or problems do they have in their life? What is their age or demographic? What life stage are they in? Because does the Bible contain all the answers to life that we need? Yes. Is every person living the same type of life? Absolutely not. The Bible may contain a one-size-fits-all message, but it does not call us to a one-size-fits-all approach. Number two, context. So, you are a theologian, You know the who, what, what, when, where, why of scripture, right? But the person you're talking to does not. We're not going to seriously treat them like they do, right? Like they should. Context is so key. Because it means being willing to approach a conversation about faith with a more open-minded attitude. Mind you, don't get me wrong, not saying that means that we accept or agree with everything that a person says. But it does mean that we're not going to be dogmatic or legalistic about it. It means breaking down how you understand Scripture in the simplest terms by avoiding that Christianese language that they're very unlikely to understand. It also means being sensitive to the fact that they likely have a different religious or cultural or economic or political background than you do. And above all, it means avoiding judgmental phrasing when you don't agree with their perspective. Grace As well as truth Because remember Jesus Left his royal Dwelling place To come down here and wear our Clothes and eat our food And speak our language He understood The culture of the people he was Reaching and he worked within that I have yet To meet a campus preacher Standing on a soapbox with a megaphone Convert anyone to the faith We've got to help people get there by first meeting them where they are. Number three, timing. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there is a time for everything. It doesn't say that everything is for every time. Proverbs 3 tells us we should lean on God's understanding, not our own. Colossians 4 says walk in wisdom toward unbelievers. Make good use of your time. Season your speech with salt so you can graciously answer others. We must submit ourselves to the Spirit to reveal to us what to say and when to say it. You want to share with someone the hope you have in Jesus Christ and have them feel loved as a result? Then create safe, open space for that discussion to meet people where they're at. Don't smother them with scripture and dogma. Sometimes we need to learn, and I'm learning this. I will say this just even in my relationship with my wife. You need to learn to listen more than you speak. Sometimes you don't need to have all the answers, you need to just hear the person. Embrace awkward silences. Don't hold people hostage to a conversation, but be sensitive to their time. And don't waste the time that you have And the most crucial key to all of this And the one that I think we fail in most Follow up Don't let it be a one and done instance Discipleship is the loving and consistent and intentional act Of building relationships with others To know and become more like Jesus So you say, but, okay, Pastor Adam, what if I do all this? And they still reject me Well, this is not only a possibility, it's very likely. I gotta be honest. People assume all sorts of negative things about Christians all of the time, and and rightfully so, unfortunately. I've shared this before, but we as a collective, we've done ourselves no favors throughout history. It's often said that in any given demographic of people, there is a very small group that makes the most noise, right? The vocal minority. This is true still with Christians. And that noise, unfortunately, is often very negative. It's an overwhelming cacophony of legalism and judgment and hatred. If we are timid with our love, how can we expect people to do anything but reject us? Jesus says they would know us by our love. So how do we share Jesus with someone stuck behind mental barriers of assumption? As I said during my sermon last, a couple months ago, Not only the way we speak, but the way that we act It's got to be tempered with that same gentleness and respect So how do we show that we are authentic loving believers? Here we go three goals for authentic loving believers And I say goal because it should be what we're striving towards not because we're going to get it perfect every time but number one Don't get defensive Jesus tells us in matthew 5 don't seek revenge Turn the other cheek Give fully of yourself We can apply this here Put yourself in the shoes of a hurting person. What would you need from someone? Don't fire back just because someone is offended by your faith. Instead, listen to and acknowledge what they're saying. Hear the pain that they might be feeling. Be willing to go so far as to apologize for what they've experienced. Listen, apologizing in general can be very uncomfortable, but apologizing for something that you didn't do, that's unnatural. But we are called to an unnatural kind of love. I shared this a few months ago. The fault might not be with us directly, but as a member of the body of Christ, we are held responsible and accountable for each other's actions. But the more beautiful part about that is we also, as a member of the body of Christ, have the opportunity and power through the grace we have received from Jesus to help mend a wound. Taking responsibility goes a long way Healing. Jesus does not need us to defend him, but he does need us to represent him well. Number two, connect intentionally. Don't be so concerned about driving home the message that you missed the opportunity to know someone and have them know you. Because while our identity is found in Christ, we also have to show people we're not just churchgoers. Don't get me wrong. We just did a whole series on this. I love my church. Love and devotion to the church are wonderful and important. This does not take away from that. But people have to see the church is not our only hobby. Like I said, every time we see Jesus connect with his followers, he connected with them on this personal level before leading them into the deeper waters of following him more closely. People need to see Jesus in us Through the other things that we do This plays back Into one of the previous points about context And the way that Jesus reached the lost I Am a Christian And a minister of the gospel I'm a son A brother, a husband And a soon to be father I also love comic books Shocker, I know, for those of you who have been here for a while You're like, yeah, duh But I also love musicals and landscaping projects. I enjoy home renovation and interior decorating. I'm also a fan of folk, EDM, which is like electronica, and 80s and 90s alternative rock music. Did I just teach you something new about me? Anything? There's so much more to me than that. How many doors are open to me to connect with other people? How many doors are open to you? We need to not only be willing, but able to connect with people on a non-church level while still maintaining our identity in Christ. Notice the order I place those in. First willing, then able. We might need to figure out how, how we do this. If you struggle with where to start, a simple way is by showing people we actually care through generosity and kindness. Number three, probably the most important one, share your story. People need to see that Christians are also broken, imperfect people. There are pretenders who act like they've got it all together, to be sure, but let's not be one of them. Furthermore, let's do our best to reassure people that the pretenders are wrong by showing them a right image of Jesus through how he has transformed our lives. As I said earlier, I have struggled with anger in the past. and It has only been through my submission to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life that I have learned healthy ways to both address and temper that emotion. Through my time with the Lord, he has also helped me overcome selfishness and greed and lust and prejudices. And there are stories attached to all those experiences. Tell other people of how God's grace and mercy in your life through Jesus has changed it. Be authentic. Be honest. Be real. Because we live in a hurting, broken world, to be sure, but only Jesus Christ can fix that. He is the master. We are his servants. So remember this. An instrument is not beautiful in and of itself simply because it exists. It's only when the master musician picks it up and produces something of unmatched beauty with it. In this way, let us be willing instruments for God. And we need to be. We're heading into a new campaign starting next week called generations of faith pastor jeff will begin a new series on it next week i would encourage you if you have not already done so to sign up for one of our group fellowships coming up in the month of november there's more info on that in the insert in your bulletin how to sign up where to go what we're doing these are going to be meetings held in the homes of different church members where you can ask questions and hear stories about the work that God has already done here and the work that we believe he wants to do in the future. Because we need to be ready to love the next generation. Because if we can't do this practically, we will miss it. The reason I preached the message I did a few months ago, the reason I've come back to it and kind of given it a book now is because the next generation is already over it. They are called the post-Christian generation because they do not see the need for the church. And the reason they don't see the need is largely due to the fact that they don't feel that it's authentic. So let's be authentic. Let's be real. I believe the Lord wants to do a good work, a new work in this church, but it's people, our people, we need to be ready to love. Rule of three Love God. Love our church. Love the lost. Let's get ready. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning and we just ask that you would convict our hearts. Lord, I'm convicted in my own feelings, in the areas where I have had a misstep, where I might have misrepresented Jesus to somebody, and because of that, they remained lost. Lord, I want to take the charge you've given me seriously. I want to to apply it practically. I I want to do the work you've called me to do, Lord. I believe the people in this church want to do the work that you've called them to do. So, Father, again, I ask, convict our hearts. Help us to submit to the work of your Spirit that we might grow with intentionality, Lord, that we might seek it out on purpose to grow, to be more like Jesus, so that when people walk through these doors or when we are walking out in the world, they do. They recognize there's something different about us and they desire it for themselves. That we show your love in tangible ways to other people. That we might invite them to be a part of this family, Lord. Not just this family here in this building, but the family of your kingdom to become your children, to follow you, and know you as Father. Lord, lead us in your ways. Help us to be gentle. Help us to be respectful. Help us to be tender and loving. Help us get ready, Lord, for the work that you've laid out before us.